There we go. Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm the co-founder of EventRight. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key over 21 years ago. Sorry for being a few minutes late. I was trying to use this mic, and it wasn't letting me go live. And then I switched to this one, and it did. I'm getting a new fancy mic, so I don't have to wear this geeky headset. But we will use this geeky mic uh, for this one. So um, if uh, one or two of you could type in yes, so you can hear me, just to make sure, because you never know. I'll wait for somebody to type yes. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to explain that what we're going to be talking about today is licensing. So nobody type in yes. Okay, great. Got it. Um, we're going to be talking about is licensing and what InventRight and Stephen and myself and all our coaches and our whole company has done for the last 21 years is to guide people to do licensing deals, which means that you're renting or leasing. I like saying renting or leasing because when you do a licensing deal, if they don't perform, if the big company doesn't perform, you can take it back. So don't think like, oh, it's lost forever. Or they can just sit on it. We never let our students do those sorts of deals. Um, I've talked to inventors that have, but they should have got some advice before they did so. But you're renting or leasing your idea, and it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. So you don't need employees. You don't need to raise money, you know, like on some TV show or you think, oh, well, I have to just start my own business. Um, hold on a second. Now I'm getting distracted by Skype. So I'm going to have to turn that off. There we go. Um, so you don't have to start a business. So they're going to invest their money. They're going to use their workforce, sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, everything. And the biggest thing is they'll tap into existing distribution. So if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you're in 30,000 stores. So they're a machine, you know, so if they're a um, kitchen gadget company, okay, and they have 80 products, well, your product's just one more product in their product line. That's not a bad thing because they're very serious about pushing their products out. So the benefits of licensing are enormous. You don't need to mortgage your house. You don't need to quit your job. Um, we have students that eventually go full time, but you want royalties coming in from a few products before you do that. And so since the pandemic started, I've been doing these live Q&As on Monday and I absolutely love doing them. And you guys are fantastic. And usually I ask this at the end, but I'm going to ask it at the beginning. If you guys really uh, appreciate my advice, you could do me a very small favor, which doesn't cost you a penny. And make sure to click on subscribe. If, it, if you're already subscribed, don't click on it again because it will unsubscribe you. But subscribe to our channel. We're looking to go from I – I haven't even looked. I try not to look. I, we're 48, 49. Don't quote me on that. Something like that, 1,000. Um, and we want to get to 80,000 in the next six or eight months. That's my goal. Okay. So um, the questions should be surrounding uh, licensing, but you can ask questions in other areas. And I wanted to kind of throw something out there today is if you have fears, um, what are your fears about licensing or about working on your product? And let's let's see if we can get some questions about your fears. Those are usually pretty easy for folks to come up with, and it's normal to when you're you're fearful when you're trying something new, particularly in this area. Um, Anelton Neves can't wait, can't wait! Exclamation mark! You helped me so much. You're welcome. Um, thank you. Thanks to you, I stepped up to Wall. Wall is a razor company and showed them my product, said they didn't, sad they didn't license the product, but I'm not stopping there. So you're welcome, that's great. I love that you're, 
you know, you weren't comfortable reaching out and then you just went ahead and dived in and did it. I think that's absolutely fantastic, Annelton. Um, I'm just, I go like this because I'm starting to have to wear these. I have perfect vision except for reading, which is not perfect vision. I realize that. I'm still delusional the fact that I need to wear readers that I bought at the drugstore to, to read things up close. Um, uh, Huntington, uh, PS all the way from the Netherlands. Oh, Annelton's in the Netherlands. Cool. Yeah, must be, geez. I don't know. Must be about 12 o'clock there, I guess. So that's cool. Thank you for attending so late. Um, hunt, hunt, hunting, hunting simple is the handle. And by the way, type your first name if you can. I'll, I'll just use your surname. Oh, that's Greg, Gregory is his name. Hi, Andrew. I live in Canada. How can I possibly submit my idea to Hasbro? Well, Hasbro was an unusual um, thing. We had Hasbro come on as a company and the portal, which is a toy company, says that they will only accept ideas from U.S. citizens, which I found very unusual. I don't find that to be normal at all, but that's that was their requirement. Um, so I would email them and ask them. I think when they did the webinar with us, they mentioned that for Europe and other places that they they will go to events and they're available there. So I think there is a way in. Um, they didn't specify that way in, but I think there is a way in for Canada and for Europe and, and other countries. So you're going to need to email them and ask. Um, so that's what I would do. Uh, Mark, hi, Andrew and company. I want to submit my ideas, idea to has a submission application. I'm just reading it as you wrote it that asks for a legal, okay. Ask for a legal company name and website and 12 months sales revenue, but I don't have a company. What should I do? LLC is expensive. So Mark, you're probably confused like a lot of people when you're early on licensing is you're not contacting the manufacturers that are selling at the retailers is you're contacting a buyer maybe at a retailer. I'm really not sure, but that's be my guess. I've been doing this for a long time and they're saying they want to see 12 months of sales and that you have a, a company website and a company name. So I think you're reaching out to the wrong people. Um, I cannot recall uh, any, I'm sure it's happened, but our students don't get hit up like, oh, we're not gonna license from you unless you've sold this product before. That's BS. I, I, 95 to 98% of our students, probably around 95% uh, of our students that do licensing deals, they've never sold a single one of anything. Um, so Mark, I think what you're doing is you're approaching buyers at retailers and you're not approaching potential licensees that sell at retailers. And of course, if you're a retailer and you're asking a vendor, which is you, you're not a vendor, but they think you're a vendor to provide some sales data and a website and stuff. Um, so that's the problem. Um, you're right. And doing an LLC in California is expensive and our students usually will do an LLC when they're in the midst of their first deal. It's just one more thing to do. California is expensive, but in other, some other states, it's like 20, 40 bucks, you know? Um, it's a lot cheaper here in Nevada where I am, but not completely free, uh, which reminds me, I need to renew my LLC. I think that was due on the 14th. I have a note on my calendar. I'm going to do that right after this meeting, by the way. Um, uh, so hopefully that was helpful, uh, Mark. Uh, Raul, hey, Andrew, do companies usually offer help with 
the engineering of a product or will you have to figure it all out on your own before reaching out? No, I, they definitely help out with the engineering. Um, you know, it, it, what you need to do is help them with the part that is different. So you might not even understand this particular type of product completely, but you understand your hinge on the side. And do you need to understand all the engineering for the entire product? No, because maybe they're already doing products like that and they get it. Or maybe you just cite other products that are in the marketplace and they're like, oh, yeah, they're making that. And they're making that for 29 bucks. OK, we're going to buy one, take a look at it and we're going to change the piece of it that you showed us. So you do need to have, I think, somewhat of an understanding of your change where you can say this is how this new change works. Um, but absolutely, you can get them to do the engineering of the product and the development. That's the whole point of, of, of one of the big points of licensing. Um, but if you don't want to be that crazy inventor that's like, oh, I got this idea. What is it? Oh, it's a robot. I always give this example that jumps up on your roof and shingles a house. Oh, how do we make it? Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about robotics, but I think it's a good idea. Don't be that guy. But a lot of times in layman's terms, I mean, most of our InventRight students are not engineers. They're, they're not. Most of them are not, and they're able to do it. So now if the highly, highly complex product and your piece isn't, great. But if it's highly, highly complex and you have no idea how this thing's going to freaking work, that can be a problem. But that's we address that more on a case-by-case -case basis. It really depends. Sometimes I have people that they think it's this giant problem. I'm like, no, it's not. That's not a big problem. You could just tell them this. And they're like, oh, I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. I know I'm not giving you specifics on that. but. Um, uh, Margie, hi, Andrew. What contact info should we put on our sell sheet? Just name, email, cell phone. Should we put a title after our name, like independent product developer? I don't like, I wouldn't put independent product developer. I would just put product developer. So, you know, you've instantly got your credentials, which is really great. So get yourself a, I'm not the biggest fan of, well, anyway, um, get yourself a Gmail or another email, and you just put your first name, last name, so your name is Margie Nelms, so Margie Nelms Designs at Gmail. Okay, looks professional. It's not um, happy beach at Hotmail, right? You don't want that, okay? So that's your email. And then the phone number, yeah, you can use your cell phone, just make sure nobody's screaming on it. And I would say, hi, this is Margie Nelms from Margie Nelms um, Product Design. Please leave a message to the people, we'll get back to you promptly. Now, all your friends and family will know it's you, and they'll think you're kind of cool for developing your own products. But don't have kids screaming on an answering machine. So don't do that. So there's your phone. Got your email free. Your phone is free because it can be your cell phone. And then your title should be product developer. So Margie Nelms, product developer, Margie Nelms Designs. And if in most states that I know of, if you use your full surname, you don't need to file even a fictitious business name statement. So you see Margie Nelms Designs. Nobody's going to be confused as to who's really behind this company, right? Um, so in a lot of states, that doesn't even cost you anything. You don't have to file a fictitious business name statement then. Don't quote me on that because it could. I think it can vary by state. Um, so, yeah, I would put all that on there. And they will almost never call you. They will almost always email you. Um, and then you'll talk later, but don't think like you're going to mess up if you're not there to pick up the phone at the right moment. I wouldn't worry about that for two seconds. They'll almost always email you. Um, William said, how many times could a PPA be filed on a product? And do you refile before the year is out on the expiring one? So you can file a PPA that hasn't been publicly disclosed. So what is publicly disclosed? Selling it a swap meet, putting it on a website, putting it on a public YouTube video, anything like that. 
um, which reminds me, don't disclose anything publicly on this uh, on this Q&A. And I'm not offering any legal advice. So please seek the services of an attorney. Don't consider what I what, what I share with you guys to be legal advice, just gen, general business advice. So you can file a PPA as many times as you want, but why? Why do you want to do that? So some people, they, they get all excited. Oh, I can get patent pending status for 75 bucks, which you should get excited about. Something to get excited about. But if you file it and you don't know how to reach out to companies and you just sit on your hands, what's the freaking point, right? What's the point? So yeah, you can file a provisional again. Now you don't extend your date. Each provisional is from the date you filed it. So let's say, William, let's say you filed a provisional 11 months ago. Well, let's say it was 13 months ago. It ran out. You could file one today and you get that placeholder in time from today out a year. But you can't run around suing people unless you fully upgrade it and then reference your provisional. And you can't even do that with a patent. When you file a patent, you have to wait one to three years for it to issue. You can't run around going, that's mine. You can't take that because it's not yours yet. It hasn't been granted. It's the same thing with a provisional. So when I explain that to people, they're like, oh, a provisional doesn't protect me. Yeah, it does. It's a placeholder in time. If you later file a patent and a patent later gets issued, if that time is an issue, then you've got protection from your provisional date. But even when you file a patent, it takes one to three years for it to issue. So you're not protected officially. You know, it's it's perceived protection, which is enough. You know, you got patent pending status. And why would most people want to mess with that? And they can't even see what you have when you filed a provisional. So, um, so, but the, and then even if you did make public disclosure and it was uh, this product, let's say this pen, and it was protecting A and B, let's say certain features are, uh, of it, certain utility of it. And you made public disclosure and it's been more in a year, you're toast for this. But you're like, oh, but I'm going to change this little thing here. You could still file a provisional on that thing that hasn't been publicly disclosed for more than a year. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, given your name, which is so, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, because, you know, we're Americans. Sadeg Yageg's Zedis. I can't pronounce this, sorry. But you wrote, can royalties be received directly through PayPal and not royalty checks? So um, I'm going to guess, based on your name, now there's people from all over the world in the U.S., but I'm going to guess you're somewhere else, Zadig, and um, you're worried about receiving money. Um, they can pay you however they want. Um, so if you want them to pay you via PayPal, but, you know, whether their accounting per, uh, department is set up to do that, you know, they might want to send you a check. They might make another payment. So that's all negotiable. Is that something to worry about? Hell no. If they like your idea and you close and should you bring it up early on? Oh, hey, by the way, I'm overseas and, and I, I only want to get PayPal, you know, payments. It's like for my royalty. It's like well, we haven't even done a deal yet. Like, don't even bring that up. You know, so they'll have committed to the deal and all that. You'll figure out a way to make it work. That's not something to worry about. Um, now, if you're, if you're looking to get around taxes in your country, they're going to do whatever their accountants tell them is the right thing to do in the way that they send you money. Maybe they you probably just do a um, uh, direct transfer, just a bank to bank transfer. And if you're not OK with your government seeing that, well, you know, that's your problem. You're going to have to deal with that if you ask me, but they're going to do whatever is legit for them to do because they're not going to stick their neck out. But they might say, yeah, sure, we can do PayPal. 
Um, but I don't think most companies are usually paying vendors in PayPal. Um, uh, so Solar Dove is the handle. I have a life-saving idea and want investors. How do I find them? Well, Solar, what we covered at the beginning is that we're talking about licensing here. And when you license to a company, you don't need investors. When you license to a company that is going to manufacture and sell your product, they're going to manufacture it and sell it and distribute it and use their workforce. You don't need money. And it's their product now. You've rented or leased it to them. So you don't need to raise money. When you license, you're doing it all at once. You're raising the money because the company, these are big companies, they have unlimited money for a product that sells well. You're getting the workforce because their workforce is going to do the work. And then you get existing distribution in stores. So I can't tell you how to find investors. The way that we help you find investors when you're licensing is for you to directly approach the manufacturers that are selling similar types of products and you license your product to them, which you're renting or leasing your idea to them. And starting your own business is legitimate is the other direction you can go. It's not the direction we um, guide people to do. Um, but if you're very new to all this, realize you should look into licensing. Watch more of our YouTube show to learn more about licensing. Okay, Solar. Um, uh, Jesse, thank you for doing these live webinars, Andrew. Uh, you're welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Um, uh, Rafat, uh, I, I know you. I know you. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for everything you do and what InventRight does. How can you search a toy idea if it exists or not? There are so many toys out there. Yeah, you know, and there's so many toys that have been done. And so, like, let's say you're new to toy inventing and you're coming up with these toys and you send it to a company. And they're like, oh, no, no, that was done 10 years ago. And you're like, well, I haven't seen it because toy companies, they're really good about knowing all the stuff that's been done before and then all the variations and all that. And so if you haven't been in the toy business for a long time, it's really hard to know what's existed out there and what's not. There are good blogs for toys where you can look at stuff that's happened in the past and all that. So you just have to kind of go for it. Um, now, you should know and be able to find, it's a little harder though with toys, right? I mean, like when you're doing uh, bottle openers or let's say a can opener, you know, you, you know what words to type in, right? And you can go to Google Images and Amazon, you can find can openers. But with toys, it's kind of like, you know, you got to look almost in that category, right? Like like if it's toys for toddlers or teenagers or preteens or girls or boys. And you really got to be really familiar with the that category. And so like, you know, different toys, like video games are a category and then board games are a category and then lawn games are a category and then certain types of like doll houses are a category. So you really got to study that micro category of her thought and really know what's out there today. A little harder to know what's out there in the past, but you can type it. You could type that in great doll house, big sellers of the past if, if you wanted to do that. So, um, but they, the companies, man, they know. They most of these toy companies, they really know their stuff. They know everything that's been done in the past, um, most of the time, not all the time. Um, Jonathan writes, LLC in California, first year fees are now. Your fees are free now due to COVID. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah, you know, I move. I moved from Silicon Valley about 
about 12 years ago to Henderson, Nevada, which is next to Vegas. I'm never going back. Um, love California. Silicon Valley is where I grew up. That'll always be part of who I am. But uh, just uh, stifling business environment in a lot of ways. And taxes, they'll just tax you to death. In Nevada, where I live, there's no state tax, which I love. Um, it was also, you know, I never, I grew up, I lived in San Diego and I also lived in Chico, both in California. Um, and I just wanted to move somewhere else other than when I live. I, I have no problem with people living in California. I mean, I grew up there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 be, it's becoming a tough place to do business for a lot of folks. Um, but, you know, it's part of who I am. It's where I grew up. Sedeg, uh, uh, can royalty checks be paid to another person than the licensor at the request of the licensor himself? Yeah, I'm sure you could put that in the contract. Do you have a criminal history, Sedeg? I mean, what's going on there? You're like really worried about these payments. Licensing, you whatever they will agree to is okay. So if 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 you think about it, when you have a company and you're receiving royalty payments, you're receiving the payments through that company, you know? And so for those royalty payments or the contract to be directed towards another person, I don't think they care. I really don't think they care. So I think that's perfectly uh, acceptable. And it's not something I would talk about early on in the talks with them. It's like when you're in the midst of closing the deal and the final you know, stuff in the contract, then I would bring it up. And so and it was just a joke, by the way. I, I'm sure you have your own reasons. Um, but yeah, I don't see that as being a problem. Uh, Margie Nelm says, Margie, can you get a, I think this is Margie. I don't know if it's Jeff or Margie. I think it's a Margie, it says Jeff, but it's Margie that's writing it. With a Gmail account, can you get a Google voice phone number that you can set up to ring on your cell phone, free business number. Yeah, I haven't looked that up in a long time. We used to be telling our students to do that. Yeah, you can get a Google voice number that rings to your cell. And what that will do is it'll make an announcement um, that it's you got to call a Google voice call and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to answer the phone a little bit different. But it go, if it not, it goes to the voicemail. So in that case, you could have kids screaming on your your cell phone voicemail, and then you have your Google voicemail, which I believe it's still free. I haven't checked in a long time. And it will ring to your cell phone. It will announce them. Now, if you don't pick up, you got to set it up right so it doesn't go to your cell phone voicemail before the Google voicemail. If you don't pick it up, let's go to Google voicemail, and then you'll get an email. Um, but if you wanted to pick it up, you could answer it differently. So, yes, yeah, our students were doing that all the time back in the day. I don't know if our coaches are guiding our students to do that anymore. I haven't asked. Um, I haven't been doing coaching for one-on-one. -on -one. I'll always jump in and help uh, coaches with different things for a while. But, yeah, that's that's legit, Margie, so you can totally do that. Um, okay, Mark says, X company has teamed with X partners to create a new way for entrepreneurs to submit their products efficiently in a manner that protects the intellectual property rights of the company and X company. So basically I have to go through this third party that vets the idea for this company and those question marks about legal company name were on their application. Okay, so Mark's giving us some clarification. He was not trying to approach um, retailers. He was, uh, taught, he was trying to approach 
a company that's an in-between this company he's trying to send. So he's trying to send a, a potential licensee, a manufacturer's idea, but there's this in-between company. Um, and he's saying that they're asking for these things, need a company name, 12 months sales. I just don't hear that, Mark. That's very weird. And it doesn't make sense because people licensed up all the time, haven't sold a single one. So something's not adding up there, Mark. I don't know if this company that's vetting for this other company knows what the hell they're doing, but that's just stupid. And maybe, but the question is, are they vetting for licensing or are they vetting for something else? So I'm not really, really sure. Just move on. I mean, if you don't meet those criteria and that's what they insist on, you can try to go around this company that is vetting for this other company, but that's what they're saying the rules are. So if if you don't have 12 months of sales, but they're gonna miss so many inventors by having that policy, if that's their policy, I know you're new to it, and I don't know if I looked at it, that I would come to a different conclusion, but um, you know, you just gotta move on if you're not meeting the criteria. People get, it's funny, I, I see inventors get stuck on this sort of thing, and then they like literally cannot move on to their companies. They get so like, oh, this didn't work the way I wanted it to. And then they can't get past it. I'm not, Mark, you're not doing that. I'm just saying that people will get hung up on something that they can't keep going, you know? And sometimes with this, that's not an issue. That's just one company. But they'll get really upset when they're trying to submit about what one person or one company said. And then they falsely think that that's going to apply to everybody else. And I know because I've seen, I'm like, no, I, people will say things. I'm like, no, that's not normal at all. You know, and we have a sample size of 21 years of experience. So we know what's normal and what's not. It's really nice when you have an event right coach and the, you say something funky that's happened to you. And they're like, that's just really strange. Like, I've literally never seen that before. But here's how we're going to handle it. Or they say, oh, that's going to happen to you all the time. Here's how you handle it every time it happens. So you start to get used to these different scenarios. Um, Uh, Mark said, Mark from Northern Ireland, it's late for you too, man, uh, 1230 or so. So thank you for attending. Um, love the videos and information you provide for inventors, product developers. Can you suggest the best ways to obtain information online, such as statistics for certain things like theft rates in countries for my research purposes? Theft rate in countries. I don't know what you mean by theft rate. Um, so why don't you type in, uh, Mark, what you mean by theft rate, and I'll jump back down to the bottom of the chat. Um, sounds like you're trying to get some statistics to prove your case for your product, but I'll, I'll, I'll jump back down, and then I'll jump back up to your question. Um, Sam says, are InventRight students mailing out paper sell sheets? Yeah, we've been doing this for 21 years, Sam, so yes. There was a time where our students were mailing out and faxing paper Sell sheets. Faxing wasn't very good because it looked terrible. So we never really told people to do that, although we had some students that were doing that as well. Um, but not anymore. Really not. Um, every once in a while, I'll have a student, hey, you know, would I really get a uh, different look at it? Like every once in a while, I'll get, um, we'll get a company, somebody will tell me the company says, oh, no, you can only mail it to us, like snail mail. And I'm like, what? And, and I, I'm just, I'm just thinking most of the time when they do that, they're just trying to not get so so many submissions. But I'm like, well, if you're the one in 100 that actually bothered to mail it, like maybe they'll take a look at it, you know? So in that case, I think it makes sense. But otherwise, no, it's just a waste of time. Um, 
it's very time consuming and a lot of work. You got to print them all up in full color. You can put an envelope and it makes you look kind of archaic a little bit. Um, but I'm not going to say don't do it, but our students aren't doing it. I, I haven't, they're just not. And our students are pretty successful. So, um, Mark said the overall percentage with regards to the statistic, he wants the overall percentage in countries of people having belongings stolen. Um, yeah, you're going to need to do some research on that because there's all sorts of different crime statistics in different countries and how they keep those. Um, so I would look up, you know, Google how to research crime statistics in different countries, you know. Um, and, you know, you might find if you Google some of it to like how many people are mugged every day in the United States? How many people are, uh, cars are broken into every day in the United States? Somebody has already done that research and like is posting it for one reason or another. Um, so you could probably find that mark. So that's, that's an interesting question though. Um, you get this one all the time, which is a good question, Israel. Can you license your product to multiple companies or once you get a deal with one company, it's got to be an exclusive to that particular customer? There are no rules with licensing. My rule, which is very helpful and easy to remember, is they can't be stepping on each other's toes. So if both companies are selling pens on the exact same shelf at Walmart, they ain't going to work. But if one company is selling cheap, disposable pens at Walmart and another company selling high-end $100 pens, are they stepping on each other's toes? No. So maybe your technology could fit in with both of those. So you can break out licensing deals geographically by different versions of the product if it makes sense and they're not stepping on each other's toes. Remember that saying, not stepping on each other's toes. Um, maybe there are different distribution channels, different geographies. Um, most of the time our students are doing one deal with one company. Now, here's the misperception. People think they're going to make more money by doing deals with multiple companies. But these companies, they want an exclusive. They want something unique, you know, so they can push it out hard and fast. And they're big. They're really big. You're not going to do deals with some rinky-dink little company unless that's all you got. And a small deal is better than no deal at all. But they're really, really big. So maybe they can be in 30,000 stores. Like, how greedy do you want to be? And isn't it fair to give them some sort of advantage? But if they're not selling in a certain place or a certain version that's not going to hurt them, then you can pull all that out when you do the um, when you do the negotiation. We help our students do that all the time. So that's the best answer, most succinct answer I can give. And you don't worry about that. You throw it up all up against the wall. It's very normal to have interest from multiple companies. They naturally fall off. Like if you call it 30 companies, let's say you got it out there pretty fast and you got interest from five, you're not closing deal with five companies. You won't have five companies at the end. You're lucky to have one, you know, And but maybe you have two. But it's pretty, they naturally just kind of fall off. So don't really worry too much about doing deals with multiple companies. Um, I've seen instances where it makes perfect sense and most of the time doesn't. But a good, but a percentage of the time it does. So you don't want to count that out. You want to keep it in mind. Um, that's something that our negotiation coach Paul and our licensing coaches help our students with because it really depends on the product and the situation. Um, 
Hi, uh, Stefan. Uh, hi, Andrew. Can you license a trade secret? Yes, you can. Um, for example, manufacturing method where a patent would be an a patent would be an instruction manual for copycats due to low requirements to copy. Okay, manufacturing method where a patent would. Be. I, I don't know what you mean by a patent would be an ex instruction manual for copy. So can you license a trade secret? Yes. And this is one of the rare instances where it's very important to insist they sign a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, most of our students are just filing provisionals and they're showing their product to companies. And we've gone into that almost every single Q&A. But with a trade secret, you'd want to insist they sign your NDA. Because once it's not a secret anymore, it doesn't matter if they've violated your non-disclosure agreement and made it not a secret, it's still not a secret anymore. Now you could sue them, but so could you... Could you license a trade secret, have them sign an NDA, and then they could keep it secret? And how a trade secret works is if they've got these manufacturing techniques that they're not sharing with anybody else and nobody else can figure it out, well, now they've got the benefit of being able to manufacture this product, maybe at a lower price or manufacture it all or what have you. So you absolutely can license uh, a trade secret, Stefan. It's a good question. Tim said, how would you license your product to one company when you would need a part from another company to make the product whole. I I get this question all the time and people have these ideas like these parts are exclusive and they may be, but a lot of times they're not. Like, you know, Velcro is a trade name, but you can get tons of hook and loop fastener, which is the same as Velcro from other companies. So they're like, oh, my product is Velcro. Do we need permission from Velcro? I'm like, no, you don't. The, the manufacturer is gonna buy that material um, from uh, from a manufacturer of hook and loop fastener. They're probably not even going to pay Velcro because they probably want to get it cheaper and get it with somebody that's uh, making hook and loop fastener. But you can't use the word Velcro because Velcro owns that because they're protected by their trademark. Um, when you would need a part from another company, the question is, do you really need that part? Can they just do the part differently and make it? You know. And so um, it re the answer is, that, Tim, it depends. So I gave you the best answer I can because without talking about a particular product, um, I can't fully answer it, but I've answered it and I think it's benefited everybody else listening in. Um, Amy, I'm about to patent, to be patent pending. I want to put my product idea all over social media. Would, would this scare or turn licensors away? I would absolutely positively not do that. I don't care if you're patent pending. Why would you make a public disclosure of your product when it's not necessary? And here's the thing is, you want everybody to like it. So you want people to go, oh, like on social media or, oh, what a great product. You know, And it really doesn't mean crap because they've found that only one, and it's even worse on social media, only one in 10 people in a focus group when they were, when they said they would buy it in a focus group, when they're asked to open up their wallet, will actually give you their money. So don't be fooled by hundreds of people saying it's a great idea on social media. It doesn't mean people will buy it. Um, so what are you really getting out of? You're just exposing your idea and your product to everybody. Privately show it to potential licensees. Do not push it out on social media. It does not make sense. It's not smart. I would not do it. Now, if you've already been selling your product, and you've been venturing it and selling it, you continue to sell it and then work on licensing it. If students come on board with us, they're selling their product, and they're like, oh, I know I can do so much better if I license it. Um, 
And I always say, hey, look, you're making money. Whatever it is, you're making money every month. Keep selling it because you've already gone down that path. That's fine. But Amy, if your goal is to license it, don't throw it out in social media everywhere. It won't get you anywhere because the only opinion that matters is the opinion of your potential licensees. So uh, don't do not do that. Um, Hassan, hi, Andrew. When I license a product idea with just a PPA, is it the responsibility of the licensee to check if there is no prior art that could result in a lawsuit or am I liable? Yeah, you know, most of them, a lot of times they'll put in the contract that you're saying that you checked. And so before you do a licensing deal, you want to double check everything, make sure it's not in violation of anybody else's patents. Um, so yeah, and some of them will hold you to that where you need to have done a search. So you could pay a patent attorney, you can search yourself. Um, it's almost never an issue. Um, it's so rare. It's one of those things that people think is common and it's so uncommon actually I'm not saying never, but yeah. And, uh, so you got to make sure you've, you've taken a look out there. Okay. Uh, Hassan said, note, I did some research on the internet and found no products that are similar to mine. Excellent which is what's really important. Um, what is or isn't in the marketplace is what's truly important. What is or isn't patent just means somebody threw a bunch of money at a patent attorney. Doesn't mean the product is a good idea. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable reasonable price. So you really gotta take patents with a grain of salt. Huge numbers of them are absolute garbage. I've had IP experts tell me that. Um, a lot of people and companies will just run to patent attorneys, oh, patent this, patent this. And they didn't say, well, and here's all my variations. Here's all my workarounds, other way, other versions that I'm not doing, but that I want you to cover. So I'm really covered. And then patent attorneys don't force the inventor or the company to look at those variations. Well, you got to give me the variations. You want me to do a good job. And that's why most patents are garbage. Um, I shouldn't say most, but a, a huge number of patents. So when you see uh, other things that you're concerned about, most of the time you shouldn't be. You want to take a look at the claims, figure out if they're really um, going to cause you a problem, but almost never do they. Um, rarely, I wouldn't say almost never, but very rarely. Not as often as you guys think. I'm trying to have a teaching moment there. Um, let's see. Uh, Hassan, is it possible to patent two similar ideas in two different industries, same principle, but benefit in two different product categories? One is a standalone, the other integrated into another product. Yeah, you might be able to file a patent. Anything I share today is not legal advice and just include it on um, same patent. And then you do two licenses to two different companies because it's two different products in different industries. And that same patent will cover all of it. So, and one company doesn't care, again, not stepping on each other's toes that the other company is doing that other product because it's a different industry, different application. So absolutely, you can do that, Hassan. Uh, okay, William said, I would like to get my product into Disney. May you tell us a few steps on how to get that done? See, a lot of people uh, misperceive and um, that Disney is making all their stuff and they're not. And there's a... A lot of other companies where that's the case. So Disney does what's called brand licensing. And so what they do, you as the inventor, you try to sell your invention to a company that's going to manufacture and sell it and pay you a royalty for your invention, right? But what big companies that have strong brands like Mickey Mouse or whatever, you know, big brands that Disney have is they will strictly just license 
the brand, the character, the TV show. So when you see Mickey Mouse or um, Descendants, my eight-year-old's into Descendants. I think now she isn't anymore, but it moves so fast. But that's a, a Disney um, show. And like if you saw Descendants t-shirts or coffee mugs or action figures, there's a good chance Disney didn't make those. So they licensed a company that makes action figures or t-shirts or coffee mugs or whatever and to the rights to make that action figure. Now, they're very particular. It's got to meet a certain style sheet. It's got to prove everything. And then that it could be quite a, quite expensive, actually. That company will pay Disney like a 10% royalty or whatever the royalty is. And it'll be that company that sells the product. You know, so if you wanted to get into Disney, you want to approach their licensees. So there's the companies that make those Disney products. Usually it's on the back of the package or what have you. And that's true of a lot of other things as well. You limit yourself somewhat when you do that. When you say, oh, it has to be Disney. Well, now you approach another company that's making um, uh, pot holders, but they just make generic pot holders. And you're like, well, you you know, you got to put Disney on this. And you license and you try to like do your sell sheets with Disney. And they're like, well, do you have the Disney license? And they're like, we just do generic artwork, you know? And they're, you're like, no, well, you, you should do it. They're like, they're not going to do something they don't already do. So you're going to limit your list of potential licensees. Sometimes you'll have um, a sell sheet that will show some brand licensing possibilities, maybe some Disney characters, but then show a generic version of it as well. So you can use the same marketing piece for both the companies not doing brand licensing, like licensing products from Disney or paying Disney a licensing fee and ones just doing, um, doing it and not doing it. So, um, so that's a common question that we get. Uh, so Jay Bell, hi, Andrew, Jay Bell here. How many hours per week do students work with the coaches in the program? How are coaches paired with students? So, all our coaches can handle just about any product. We have an amazing crew. Every single coach is a former InventRight student. Um, now I have some students license a bunch of products, and there's no barb on them, but I would never ask them to be a coach. What we do is we tag coaches that are exceptional in one way or another, sorry, students that are exceptional in one way or another in our database. So when Terry, our head coach, and myself need a new coach, we reach out to former students. And we've observed them over six months or a year, and doing things and doing them exceptionally. So it is amazing way. I won't, will not hire somebody that wasn't a former InventRight student. Like I'm not going to take somebody in corporate America and go, oh, here's a script. So you can read that. You're an inventor coach now. Good luck. You know, screw that. You know, so their first experience learning the InventRight process is by actually being a student. Now I have students that license a bunch of products, but they're all wrapped up in themselves, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I would never ask them to be a coach, but you kind of recognize in certain inventors like, well, they're really good at licensing and they're like super like helpful and communicative and all the things you need to do to be, you need to be a good coach. So a couple times ago, we hired a new coach and we interviewed 16 former exceptional InventRight students. And we hired one. So I'm very proud of how we hire our coaches. And then it used to be me, but now it's our head coach, Terry. Terry will train them. And then they'll listen to other coaches' calls for a long time before they get going. And then we listen to their, their calls for when they're, when they're new. And so I'm very proud of how we uh, select our coaches. But it's not, it's not like, oh, that coach is toys and that coach is bowling. And that we don't do it that way. 
any coach can handle just about any product. Um, there are a few exceptions like packaging. That's a brutal industry. Um, so if you had a packaging product, we might put you with a particular coach. Besides that, just about any coach, personality-wise, occasionally people will ask for a male or a female. Not very often. Or just they're like, this is my personality, and we interview you. Like some people are like, well, just tell me like it is. And other people are like, I need a cheerleader. And most people are just in between. Yeah, I could use some encouragement and, you know, yeah, be frank with me about stuff. And you can tell other people a little more sensitive. So we kind of, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of know. And then the main way is just is the timing right. So, you know, different coaches work different schedules. We have one coach that works till 10 o'clock Pacific time at night. We have another coach that works on Pacific time at 4 a.m. She starts at 4 a.m., I think. And because we have students in 65 countries. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, now all the questions popped up, and I forget who asked that question. Um, yeah, it was Jay Bell. Thank you, Jay Bell. It's a great question. And if you want to talk to um, an advisor, just go on InventRide, click on the contact us page, book an appointment to talk to uh, Eli or Sylvia. They're both super friendly. We never hard sell anybody about the program. You could just be like thinking about it. That's fine. Uh, I have people, a guy, I, I talked to a guy last week and I talked to him, I looked up in my database, I talked to him five and a half years ago and he just signed up last week. And then I have other people that know us for two days and they sign up. So don't hesitate to reach out, look into it more, talk to Sylvia or Eli by booking an appointment. And even if you're not ready to think about it now, and we're not pushy at all, like the opposite of that. Um, so I'm sure it will not be a bad experience. I, I personally don't like booking appointments with people, salespeople, because I'm just like, I just want to get some questions answered and figure this out. And it's like they're like reading some sort of script and they're like guiding you through it. And especially with like coaching type stuff, we don't do that. Um, that's a real turnoff to me. It's like they're not really listening um, when they're trying to like pull you through this, this silly sales script. We don't, we don't do that with people. I would never let um, our sales team, I'm in charge of our sales team do that sort of sales. Um, and one simple idea Stephen recommends finding a mentor. Any ideas on how do I find a mentor when I don't have my con many contacts in the industry of interest? Industry has big players. They dominate the market. So yeah, you need a mentor that knows licensing. You could have a industry, a mentor in the toy business or in the kitchen business or whatever. But if they don't do licensing deals, they won't know how to guide you on licensing. So our coaches are mentors. All our coaches are your mentor for licensing. Now, if you're really into a particular industry, would it make sense to also have some sort of mentor of people or friendships with people in the industry? Absolutely. Um, but that's what we do. When Steven's talking about finding a mentor, I mean, he's talking about that, find people in the industry. That's good if you're going to stick in an industry. But that's what we provide. Inventors didn't really have mentors. That's why we started InventRight. Um, you know, they just had all these invention promotion companies. Oh yeah, give us 10 or 12 grand and we'll do it for you. And then a year later, you got nothing to show for it. You know, that's not a mentor, that's BS. Um, so, and about every day, if not every other day, Sylvia, Eli, or myself talk to somebody who's been taken for 10 or 12 grand with nothing to show for it. 
from invention promotion companies. Um, our students know what's happening because they're freaking doing it. They know they're involved, you know, but people don't want to do the work. Oh, I have a million dollar idea. I just need somebody to take it and run with it. So these companies, they, they prey on that thought process and they don't license anything. I've, I've never met an inventor ever personally. I'm sure there's been some that has had invention promotion company license a product for them. Our students are licensing stuff all the time, you know, because they're doing the work. If you don't do the work, nothing's going to get licensed. If you pay a company that's going to pretend to do the work, is it going to get licensed? Probably not. Probably not. And you just sit around like waiting, dreaming about your millions. It's, 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 it's sad. Um, so got time for maybe one or two more and that's it. Um, Let's see, try to get something a little bit different. Uh, let's see, Dronus. I submitted an idea via email and it went up their chain and their top guy reached out to me for a Zoom meeting to ask a couple of questions. Is this a good sign? Yeah, it rocks. It's fantastic. That's great, Dronus. Yeah, why do you need to ask that? You just want a confirmation. I think you should be proud. Um, I'm proud of you. Um, it's, it's always good when you get interest via email to get on the phone or the on Zoom, whatever works. Usually in most industries, it's gonna be on the phone, but either way is fine and make that personal connection. Now you're not this faceless inventor. You're, uh, you're an inventor that was easy enough to talk to and they realize you're not one of these wacky inventors, which they're out there. Um, and that's, and you're establishing some of the rapport. The fact that they took time out of their day to talk to you is huge. That in and of itself is moving things forward. Uh, Amy says, should you have every company sign your idea, sign a non-disclosure? Amy, I can't give you legal advice, but I can tell you we don't advise our students to do that. You'll feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Um, got a long talk on that, which I give almost every Q&A. But um, you've got your provisional patent. We always advise our students to file their provisional patent. Again, anything I share tonight is not considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you need legal advice. Um, I like this. We're going to, I like this one. Uh, Scuba Steve. Uh, no, no, not that one. Uh, this one's from Matt. Hi, Andrew. Can you please explain to my sister, Maxine, to stop being scared and submit her ideas to companies she's watching now for the first time? So, uh, yeah, I love that. Great. Because I wanted to talk a little bit about fears. So what's the worst thing that could happen, Maxine? Because the worst thing that could happen if you never show your product to anybody is that you ripped yourself off. Most inventors rip themselves off out of their own fears. And they spend tons of money with patent attorneys they don't need to spend. So if you never show it to anybody, you ripped yourself off. And a lot of inventors go to their grave with that because they were afraid. Um, I think the more you watch your videos, the less you'll be afraid. But you can file a provisional patent for $75. There's some software on our website that can help you do that. And so if that makes you a little more, oh good, I have patent pending status, makes you more comfortable. All The other thing that I can say 
is that out of tw in 21 years, we've had students in 65 countries. I've never had one of our students get knocked off that I know of from a company that they had submitted a product to in 21 years. It'll happen one day. I'm not saying it's never happened to anybody else. I think it's because our students conduct themselves very professionally where I've talked to other inventors and I'm like, whoa, okay, you're, you're acting like a wacky inventor. And they tell me that some company took their idea or what have you. I don't even know if they really did, but those are some pretty solid statistics that it hasn't happened in one of our students in 21 years. You know? Now, other inventors and our students aren't doing and saying everything right, but so you really gotta move forward with it. You will rip yourself off out of your own fears if you don't. But learn about all the little things about it, and the more you learn about it, the more comfortable you'll get with it. And so, um, you know, uh, so Matt, uh, you know, work with your sister Maxine. If you've been watching our show, um, or read our books, like One Simple Idea is a great book that might help you, Maxine. Um, share with her all those reasons why. You know, it's very unlikely that a company is going to rip you off. It's They're more afraid of you than you are them. They're afraid of lawsuits. Um, and you got a paper trail and you filed a provisional patent, you know. Um, but all those things are not 100% guarantee. If you want 100% guarantee that nothing will ever go wrong, you need to get out of licensing and your inventions and you need to get out of business. Because that's not, you open up a sandwich shop, there's no guarantee somebody might not open a sandwich shop like a couple weeks, a couple um, blocks away. There's no guarantees, it's business. But you want to reduce your risk. Um, but this perception that you can reduce it to zero is unrealistic. Not saying you thought that, Maxine, but. Um, Scuba Steve said, I have a company sent me an NDA to sign and it has a line for a company name. What should I put down? Should I sign my name or can I leave that blank since I don't have a company name? Um, you know, you might, again, this is not legal advice. In some states, if you use your full name, your full name is obviously not Scuba Steve. So let's say your name is Steve Smith. And you just just put your name in the company name field. and But you could put Steve Smith Designs, maybe. But again, that's not legal advice. Seek the services of your attorney before you fill that out. Um, but yeah, you could leave it blank. So what? You know, but, you know, it's kind of professional that you have a company name. And um, if you use your full surname, your first and your last name, and put something else behind it, you're not hiding behind a fictitious name. So, you know, uh, but it depends on your city and your municipality on where you're supposed to be filing that. Have I ever had an inventor say a company called me out on that? Never, never, um, ever. And they don't care. They just care about your idea. Uh, Jay Bell, really helpful, Andrew. Thank you for another great talk. Austin said, really helpful, very helpful. So I want to ask you guys, um, to do me a favor and click on subscribe. Um, if you're already subscribed, don't click on it again because it'll unsubscribe you. But if you haven't subscribed, because we're trying to get from 40, I don't know where we're at. I haven't even looked at it. I think 48, 49,000 subscribers to 80,000 subscribers. My goal is within six to eight months. So um, tell your other friends, family to subscribe. Click thumbs up on as many videos as you can. That'll help us out. We want to get a better standing with... Um, with uh, with YouTube, we're in pretty good standing. Um, we kind of dominate the space in um, inventor educational videos. Where for for the numbers that we run, 
with the number of fans. That's this huge. We're the biggest. Um, but then I look at my eight-year-old daughter's some videos that she watches. We don't let her watch much YouTube anymore. And it's like two little girls playing with Barbie dolls, and it's got like five million views. And I'm like, you know. So, but um, we also have, I believe, don't quote me on this, like 650 or so. I haven't counted them. I think Stephen was saying that number or other co-founder um, videos. So we got a ton of free education for you guys. So watch those videos, subscribe like them. If you want more help and you want some coaching, we can guide you through. We successfully guide our students all the time to close deals. And more importantly, even than that, I know you probably think what's more important than that, Andrew, but to become empowered with real life experience by working on real life projects, having a coach guide you through it all for half a year, you'll be like, I get it. I don't need you anymore. And that's what we want you to say because we want to empower you to continue on. And so if you want to learn more about that, go to InventRight, click on the contact us page and book an appointment with Eli or Sylvia. We'll never hard sell anybody. We'll just answer questions about how we coach. Maybe you're like, no, I'm not going to do it now, but maybe a year from now, that's fine. Like I said, I had a guy that um, recently signed up and he, I saw, I had talked to him five and a half years ago. But, you know, because we're so unique with what we do, you know, really, we don't have much of any competition. Um, I don't really consider other people that are kind of doing what we're doing competitors. They don't offer everything we're doing. They don't have the track history. They don't have students licensing products. Um, so uh, we, we have no reason to hard sell you. We just explain what we do. Anyway, I want to thank you guys. Amy, thank you. Um, Andrew, thank you. Scuba, Steve, thank you. Margie, thank you. Um, everybody else, thank you, thank you. And take care and keep inventing. We'll catch up with you next time. See you guys. Bye.